Shambhala Audio presents The Art of War, the Denma Translation. Our program begins with an introduction by James Gimian of the Denma Translation Group. What is the art of war? It is one of the world's classic texts on strategy and leadership, one of the world's great wisdom texts, and it's both ancient and modern at the same time. It's ancient in that it comes to us from the 5th century Warring States period of Chinese history. It comes from the military tradition of that time, and it's attributed to a great sage commander whose name is Sun Tzu. At the same time, it's very modern. It's modern because so many people now in the West have been turning to it for a more creative approach to how to work with conflict. And in both of these cases, the message of the art of war is the same. It is possible to achieve victory without battle. But why is the art of war so relevant now, and why are so many people finding it compelling? There are several reasons we could consider. First of all, in our experience of life nowadays, conflict is everywhere. There's nowhere on earth that we aren't bombarded with either global or neighboring or immediate effects of conflict going on everywhere in the world. And we feel emotionally and physically and spiritually the effects of that conflict on ourselves and on others. We also see the limitations of all the conventional approaches to dealing with conflict. Those limitations are so obvious. So people everywhere are looking for a more profound and effective way of working with conflict. And this is bringing people to the art of war. Whether this conflict is geopolitical in nature, whether it's taking place in the schoolyard, bullying, workplace, the art of war speaks directly to all those situations. Another reason why the art of war is so relevant and compelling now is that the meaning of the text is more accessible to us. We can begin to get inside it and understand what it's talking about. This is because our worldview in the West has changed significantly over the past 50 years since the text has become more widely available. Now, more and more, we view and experience the world as an interconnected web, a relationship as processes. This is the same view of the world prevalent in Warring States China when the text first emerged over 2,500 years ago. And as we have become more increasingly comfortable with that worldview, the text opens up to us and becomes a tradition of wisdom that we can join in on. We can make a genuine connection to this text. So, what is the basic message of the art of war? One of the reasons that it's so compelling to people is that it starts off by acknowledging that conflict is a fact of human life. 
That is, whatever sphere you want to talk about, whatever part of human life, conflict is inevitable. Whether you experience it as resistance or friction, whether you experience it as obstacles, or whether it breaks out as pitched battle between armies. But the other side of that message is that leadership is also inevitable. Each one of us is the center of our own world. And in whatever sphere we act, inevitably, you will have some intention or some vision which will direct you to take some kind of action that others in that sphere might not want to go along with or they might not initially agree with. And that gives rise to conflict. It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a creative. But nonetheless, it brings up to us the challenge of working with the change and chaos and conflict in our lives. So then, obviously, the question arises, how can we work with these situations in a more creative and effective way? Sun Tzu's answer is that it is possible to achieve victory without battle. Now, this line, how to achieve victory without battle, is at the same time one of the most well-known and least understood lines in the art of war. Most people assume it's just about some more clever or ruthless way of winning, about getting over on other people. But it's much more than that. It's something that the text calls taking whole. Taking whole, W-H-O-L-E. Taking whole is the basic view of the art of war. It's the way that the art of war views the world. Taking whole is essentially about including the perspectives of others in your victory. It's not about your winning and somebody else losing. It's not simply about bringing the other person over to your side, but bringing him or her to something larger than either side. In that way, there's no residue from the conflict, and you can build something greater from that victory. So the text points out that therefore we can go beyond the usual cycle of aggressive response to conflict, which only leads to escalation and more destruction for everyone. And the text finally points out that the source of all this skillful action of taking whole is knowledge. Knowing all the details of a situation, knowing the other, and very importantly, knowing oneself. So now you will hear the Art of War text read. Following that, you'll hear the same text interspersed with our commentary. While most translations present historical commentary from Chinese generals throughout history, we have written this commentary for you. First, our commentary clarifies questions you might have about the lines of the text you've just heard. Then it goes on to its main purpose, to make sure that the text is more accessible to your insight. The text of the Sun Tzu is very compressed, 
And because of that, it supports a variety of interpretations. We've been very careful in our commentary to refrain from presenting our specific interpretation because we feel that would limit the range of meaning that the text can communicate to you. Listening to The Art of War being read is really the best way to understand it. And it relates to the history of how the text was developed. The text arose in an oral lineage before books came about. It was the way a clan shared its wisdom with future members of that clan. So the text had to be very simple to memorize and to pass on. In our translation, we worked very hard to retain that feeling for the listener. We wanted to capture the moment when the art of war first emerged in the oral tradition. Because what that does is it allows you to experience the full meaning of the text. It allows the sounds and the patterns and the meaning to seep into your whole being. And as it does that, it works on your brain from the inside out, and it begins to shape how you see situations. One of the things about the art of war is it's very difficult to understand. But in this case, the denseness and the difficulty of the text is an asset when you're listening to it. The difficulty in apprehending the meaning of the text means it can get into your system under the radar of that acquiring discursive mind which would only seek to package and define and diminish the meaning. So while listening to it, you allow it to enter into an open space, to get inside, so to speak, and it unlocks the insight that you might have into the text and begins shaping your mind. You'll find that the text is very repetitive. But what that is, is reviewing that basic principle of taking whole from many different angles and approaches and giving you a fuller view. And in the end, understanding the art of war is all about view. It's about how you see the world. So if you see the world the way the text does, if you understand that interconnectedness, that web of life, and you can see that wholeness, then the skillful action of the art of war becomes apparent. Appraisals Sun Tzu said, The military is a great matter of the state. It is the ground of death and life, the Tao of survival or extinction. One cannot but examine it. And so base it in the five. Compare by means of the appraisals. Thus seek out its nature. The first is Tao. The second is heaven. The third is earth. The fourth is the general. The fifth is method. Tao is what causes the people to have the same purpose as their superior. Thus they can die with him, live with him, and not deceive him. Heaven is yin and yang, 
cold and hot, the order of the seasons. Going with it, going against it, this is military victory. Earth is high and low, broad and narrow, far and near, steep and level, death and life. The general is knowledge, trustworthiness, courage, and strictness. Method is ordering divisions, the Tao of ranking and principle supply. As for all these five, no general has not heard of them. Knowing them, one is victorious. Not knowing them, one is not victorious. And so compare by means of the appraisals. Thus seek out its nature. Ask, which ruler has Tao? Which general has ability? Which attains heaven and earth? Which implements method and orders? Whose military and multitudes are strong? Whose officers and soldiers are trained? Whose rewards and punishments are clear? By these I know victory and defeat. The general heeds my appraisals. Employ him, and he is certainly victorious. Retain him. The general does not heed my appraisals. Employ him, and he is certainly defeated. Remove him. Having appraised the advantages, heed them. Then make them into sure, to aid with the external. Sure is governing the balance according to the advantages. The military is a Tao of deception. Thus, when able, manifest inability. When active, manifest inactivity. When near, manifest as far. When far, manifest as near. Thus, when he seeks advantage, lure him. When he is in chaos, take him. When he is substantial, prepare against him. When he is strong, avoid him. When he is wrathful, harass him. Attack where he is unprepared. Emerge where he does not expect it. These are the victories of the military lineage. They cannot be transmitted in advance. Now in the rod counting at court before battle, one is victorious who gets many counting rods. In the rod counting at court before battle, one is not victorious who gets few counting rods. Many counting rods is victorious over few counting rods. How much more so over no counting rods? By these means I observe them. Victory and defeat are apparent. Doing Battle Sun Tzu said, In sum, the method of employing the military. With one thousand fast chariots, one thousand leather-covered chariots, and one hundred thousand armored troops to be provisioned over one thousand li, then expenses of outer and inner, stipends of foreign advisers, materials for glue and lacquer, and contributions for chariots and armor, 
are one thousand gold pieces a day. Only after this are one hundred thousand soldiers raised. When one employs battle, if victory takes long, it blunts the military and grinds down its sharpness. Attacking walled cities, one's strength is diminished. If soldiers are long in the field, the state's resources are insufficient. Now if one blunts the military, grinds down its sharpness, diminishes its strength and exhausts its goods, then the feudal lords ride one's distress and rise up. Even one who is wise cannot make good the aftermath. Thus in the military one has heard of foolish speed, but has not observed skillful prolonging. And there has never been a military prolonging that has brought advantage to the state. And so one who does not thoroughly know the harm from employing the military cannot thoroughly know the advantage from employing the military. One skill that employing the military does not have a second registering of conscripts nor a third loading of grain. One takes equipment from the state and relies on grain from the enemy. Thus the army's food can be made sufficient. A state's impoverishment from its soldiers. When they are distant, there is distant transport. When they are distant and there is distant transport, the hundred clans are impoverished. When soldiers are near, things sell dearly. When things sell dearly, wealth is exhausted. When wealth is exhausted, people are hard-pressed by local taxes. Diminished strength in the heartland emptiness in the households. Of the hundred clans' resources, six-tenths is gone. Of the ruling family's resources, broken chariots, worn-out horses, armor, helmets, arrows, crossbows, halberds, shields, spears, pavises, heavy ox-drawn wagons, seven-tenths is gone. Thus the wise general looks to the enemy for food, one bushel of enemy food equals twenty bushels of mine. One bale of fodder equals twenty bales of mine. And so killing the enemy is a matter of wrath. Taking the enemy's goods is a matter of advantage. And so in chariot battles. When more than ten chariots are captured, reward him who first captures one. Then change their flags and pennants. When the chariots are mixed together, ride them, supply the captives, and care for them. This is what is meant by victorious over the enemy, and so increasing one's strength. And so the military values victory. It does not value prolonging. And so the general who knows the military is the people's fate star, the ruler of the state's security and danger. Strategy of Attack Sun Tzu said, In sum, the method of employing the military, taking a state hole is superior, destroying it is inferior to this. Taking an army hole is superior, destroying it 
is inferior to this. Taking a battalion whole is superior. Destroying it is inferior to this. Taking a company whole is superior. Destroying it is inferior to this. Taking a squad whole is superior. Destroying it is inferior to this. Therefore, 100 victories in 100 battles is not the most skillful. Subduing the other's military without battle is the most skillful. And so the superior military cuts down strategy. Its inferior cuts down alliances. Its inferior cuts down the military. The worst attacks wall cities. The method of attacking wall cities. Ready the siege towers and armored vehicles. This is completed after three months. Pile up the earthworks. This also takes three months. If the general is not victorious over his anger and sets them swarming like ants, one-third of the officers and soldiers are killed and the walled city not uprooted. This is the calamity of attack. And so one skilled at employing the military subdues the other's military but does not do battle, uproots the other's walled city but does not attack, destroys the other's state but does not prolong. One must take it whole when contending for all under heaven. Thus the military is not blunted and advantage can be whole. This is the method of the strategy of attack. And so the method of employing the military, when ten to one surround them, when five to one attack them, when two to one do battle with them, when matched, then divide them, when fewer, then defend against them, when inadequate, then avoid them. Thus a small enemy's tenacity is a large enemy's catch. Now the general is the safeguard of the state. If the safeguard is complete, the state is surely strong. If the safeguard is flawed, the state is surely weak. And so the sovereign brings adversity to the army in three ways. Not knowing the army is unable to advance, yet ordering an advance. Not knowing the army is unable to retreat, yet ordering a retreat. This is what is meant by hobbling the army. Not knowing affairs within the three armies, yet controlling the governance of the three armies, then the army's officers are confused. Not knowing the three armies' balance, yet controlling appointments in the three armies, then the army's officers are distrustful. Once the three armies are confused and distrustful, troubles from the feudal lords intensify. This is what is meant by an army in chaos leads to victory. And so knowing victory is fivefold. Knowing when one can and cannot do battle is victory. Knowing the use of the many and the few is victory. Superior and inferior desiring the same is victory. Being prepared and awaiting the unprepared is victory. The general being capable and the ruler not interfering is victory. These five are a Tao of knowing victory. And so in the military, knowing the other and knowing oneself, in one hundred battles, no danger. Not knowing the other and knowing oneself, one victory for one loss. Not knowing the other 
and not knowing oneself, in every battle certain defeat. Form Sun Tzu said, Of old the skilled first made themselves invincible to await the enemy's vincibility. Invincibility lies in oneself. Vincibility lies in the enemy. Thus the skilled can make themselves invincible. They cannot cause the enemy's vincibility. Thus it is said, Victory can be known. It cannot be made. Invincibility is defense. Vincibility is attack. Defend and one has a surplus. Attack and one is insufficient. Of old, those skilled at defense hid below the nine earths and moved above the nine heavens. Thus they could preserve themselves and be all victorious. In seeing victory, not going beyond what everyone knows, is not skilled. Victory in battle that all under heaven call skilled is not skilled. Thus, lifting an autumn hair does not mean great strength. Seeing the sun and the moon does not mean a clear eye. Hearing thunder does not mean a keen ear. So-called skill is to be victorious over the easily defeated. Thus, the battles of the skilled are without extraordinary victory, without reputation for wisdom, and without merit for courage. And so one's victories are without error. Being without error, what one arranges is necessarily victorious, since one is victorious over the defeated. One skilled at battle takes a stand in the ground of no defeat, and so does not lose the enemy's defeat. Therefore the victorious military is first victorious, and after that does battle. The defeated military first does battle, and after that seeks victory. And so one who is skilled cultivates Tao and preserves method. Thus one can be the measure of victory and defeat. As for method, first, measure length. Second, measure volume. Third, count. Fourth, weigh. The fifth is victory. Earth gives birth to length. Length gives birth to volume. Volume gives birth to counting. Counting gives birth to weighing. Weighing gives birth to victory. A victorious military is like weighing a hundredweight against a grain. A defeated military is like weighing a grain against a hundredweight. One who weighs victory sets the people to battle like releasing a massed water into a gorge one thousand ren deep. This is form. Sure. Ordering the many is like ordering the few. 
it is division and counting. Fighting the many is like fighting the few. It is form and name. The multitude of the three armies can be made to meet all enemies without defeat. It is the extraordinary and the orthodox. How a military comes to prevail, like throwing a grindstone against an egg, it is the empty and the solid. In sum, when in battle, use the orthodox to engage, use the extraordinary to attain victory. And so one skilled at giving rise to the extraordinary, as boundless as heaven and earth, as inexhaustible as the yellow river and the ocean, ending and beginning again, it is the sun and the moon, dying and then being born, it is the four seasons. Musical pitches do not exceed five, yet all their variations cannot be heard. Colors do not exceed five, yet all their variations cannot be seen. Tastes do not exceed five, yet all their variations cannot be tasted. The sure of battle do not exceed the extraordinary and the orthodox, yet all their variations cannot be exhausted. The extraordinary and the orthodox circle and give birth to each other. As a circle has no beginning, who is able to exhaust it? The rush of water to the point of tossing rocks about, this is sure. The strike of a hawk at the killing snap, this is the node. Therefore, one skilled at battle, his sure is steep, his node is short. Sure is like drawing the crossbow. The node is like pulling the trigger. Puan Puan, Huan Huan, the fight is chaotic, yet one is not subject to chaos. Hun Huan, Duan Duan, one's form is round, and one cannot be defeated. Chaos is born from order. Cowardice is born from bravery. Weakness is born from strength. Order and chaos are a matter of counting. Bravery and cowardice are a matter of sure. Strength and weakness are a matter of form. One skilled at moving the enemy forms, and the enemy must follow, offers, and the enemy must take. Move them by this, and await them with troops. And so, one skilled at battle seeks it in sure, and does not demand it of people. Thus one can dispense with people and employ sure. One who uses sure sets people to battle as if rolling trees and rocks. As for the nature of trees and rocks, when still, they are at rest. When agitated, they move. When square, they stop. When round, they go. Thus the sure of one skilled at setting people to battle is like rolling round rocks from a mountain one thousand ren high. This is sure. THE SOLID AND EMPTY 
One who takes position first at the battleground and awaits the enemy is at ease. One who takes position later at the battleground and hastens to do battle is at labor. Thus one skilled at battle summons others and is not summoned by them. How one can make the enemy arrive of their own accord. Offer them advantage. How one can prevent the enemy from arriving. Harm them. Thus how one can make the enemy labor when at ease and starve when full. Emerge where they must hasten. To go one thousand li without fear, go through unpeopled ground. To attack and surely take it, attack where they do not defend. To defend and surely hold firm, defend where they will surely attack. Thus with one skilled at attack, the enemy does not know where to defend. With one skilled at defense, the enemy does not know where to attack. Subtle, subtle, to the point of formlessness. Spirit-like, spirit-like, to the point of soundlessness. Thus one can be the enemy's fate star. To advance so one cannot be resisted, charge against the empty. To retreat so that one cannot be stopped, go so far that one cannot be reached. And so, if I wish to do battle, the enemy cannot but do battle with me. I attack what he must save. If I do not wish to do battle, I mark a line on the earth to defend it, and the enemy cannot do battle with me. I misdirect him. And so the skilled general forms others, yet is without form. Hence I am concentrated, and the enemy is divided. I am concentrated, and thus one. The enemy is divided, and thus one-tenth. This is using one-tenth to strike one. When I am few and the enemy is many, I can use the few to strike the many because those with whom I do battle are restricted. The ground on which I do battle with him cannot be known. Then the enemy's preparations are many. When his preparations are many, I battle the few. Prepare the front, and the rear has few. Prepare the left, and the right has few. Everywhere prepared, everywhere few. The few are those who prepare against others. The many are those who make others prepare against them. Knowing the battle day, and knowing the battleground, one can go one thousand li and do battle. Not knowing the battle day, and not knowing the battleground, the front cannot help the rear, the rear cannot help the front, the left cannot help the right, the right cannot help the left. How much more so, when the far is several tens of li, and the near is several li away. Though by my estimate the military of Yue is many, how does this further victory? Thus it is said, victory can be usurped. Although the enemy is numerous, they can be kept from fighting. And so prick them and know the pattern of their movement in stillness. Form them and know the ground of death and life. Appraise them and know the plans for gain and loss. Probe them and know the places of surplus and insufficiency. The ultimate in giving form to the military is to arrive at formlessness. 
when one is formless, deep spies cannot catch a glimpse, and the wise cannot strategize. Rely on form to bring about victory over the multitude, and the multitude cannot understand. The elite all know the form by which I am victorious, but no one knows how I determine the form of victory. Do not repeat the means of victory, but respond to form from the inexhaustible. Now the form of the military is like water. Water in its movement avoids the high and hastens to the low. The military in its victory avoids the solid and strikes the empty. Thus water determines its movement in accordance with the earth. The military determines victory in accordance with the enemy. The military is without fixed sure and without lasting form. To be able to transform with the enemy is what is meant by spirit-like. Of the five phases, none is the lasting victor. Of the four seasons, none has constant rank. The sun shines short and long. The moon dies and lives. Spirit-like essentials. THE ARMY CONTENDING Sun Tzu said, In sum, the method of employing the military. The general receives the command from the sovereign, joins with the army, gathers the multitude, organizes them, and encamps. Nothing is more difficult than an army contending. The difficulty for a contending army is to make the circuitous direct, and to make the adverse advantageous. Thus make their road circuitous, and lure them with advantage. Setting out later than others, and arriving sooner, is knowing the appraisals of circuitous and direct. A contending army brings advantage. A contending army brings danger. Contending for advantage with an entire army, one will not get there. Contending for advantage with a reduced army, one's baggage train is diminished. Therefore, rolling up one's armor, hastening after advantage day and night without camping, continually marching at the double for one hundred li and then contending for advantage, the commander of the three armies is captured. The strong ones sooner, the worn-out ones later, and one in ten arrives. Going fifty li and contending for advantage, the ranking general falls. By this method, half arrive. Going thirty li and contending for advantage, two-thirds arrive. Therefore, an army without a baggage train is lost, without grain and food is lost, without supplies is lost. Therefore, not knowing the strategies of the feudal lords, one cannot ally with them, not knowing the form of mountains and forests, defiles and gorges, marshes and swamps, one cannot move the army. Not employing local guides, one cannot obtain the advantage of the ground. And so the military is based on guile, acts due to advantage, transforms by dividing and joining. And so, 
swift like the wind, slow like the forest, raiding and plundering like fire, not moving like a mountain, difficult to know like yen, moving like thunder. When plundering the countryside, divide the multitude. When expanding territory, divide the advantage. Weigh it and act. One who knows in advance the Tao of the circuitous and direct is victorious. This is the method of the army contending. Therefore, the governance of the army says, because they could not hear each other, they made drums and bells. Because they could not see each other, they made flags and pennants. Therefore, in day battle use more flags and pennants. In night battle use more drums and bells. Drums and bells, flags and pennants are the means by which one unifies the eyes and ears of the people. Once the people have been tightly unified, the brave have no chance to advance alone, the cowardly have no chance to retreat alone. This is the method of employing the many. And so the chi of the three armies can be seized. The heart-mind of the commander can be seized. Therefore morning chi is sharp, midday chi is lazy, evening chi is spent. Thus one skilled at employing the military avoids their sharp chi and strikes their lazy and spent chi. This is ordering chi. Use order to await chaos. Use stillness to await clamor. This is ordering the heart-mind. Use the near to await the far. Use ease to await labor. Use fullness to await hunger. This is ordering strength. Do not engage well-ordered penance. Do not strike imposing formations. This is ordering transformation. And so the method of employing the military. Do not face them when they are on a high hill. Do not go against them with their back to a mound. Do not pursue them when they feign defeat. Leave a way out for surrounded soldiers. Do not block soldiers returning home. This is the method of employing the many. 465 The Nine Transformations Sun Tzu said, In sum, the method of employing the military. The general receives the command from the sovereign, joins with the army, and gathers the multitude. In spread-out ground, do not encamp. In junction ground, join with allies. In crossing ground, do not linger. In enclosed ground, Strategize. In death ground, do battle. There are roads one does not follow. There are armies one does not strike. There are cities one does not attack. There are grounds one does not contest. There are commands of the sovereign one does not accept. And so the general who comprehends the advantages of the nine transformations knows how to employ the military. 
The general, who does not comprehend the advantages of the nine transformations, though knowing the form of the ground, is unable to obtain the advantages of the ground. When one orders the military but does not know the teachings of the nine transformations, though knowing the five advantages, one is unable to employ people. Therefore, the plans of the wise necessarily include advantage and harm. They include advantage. Thus one's service can be trusted. They include harm. Thus adversity can be undone. Therefore, subdue the feudal lords with harm. Occupy the feudal lords with tasks. Hasten the feudal lords with advantage. And so the method of employing the military. Do not rely on their not coming. Rely on what we await them with. Do not rely on their not attacking. Rely on how we are unable to be attacked. And so, for the general there are five dangers. Resolve to die, one can be killed. Resolve to live, one can be captured. Quick to anger, one can be goaded. Pure and honest, one can be shamed. Loving the people, one can be aggravated. All five are the excesses of the general, a calamity in employing the military. To overturn an army and kill the general, one must use the five dangers. One cannot but examine them. Moving the Army Sun Tzu said, In sum, positioning the army and scrutinizing the enemy. In crossing mountains, hold to the valleys. Look out at life ground and take a high position. Battle downhill. Do not ascend. This is positioning the army in mountains. In crossing water, one must distance oneself from it. When the invader approaches across water, do not meet him in the water. To order a strike when he is half across is advantageous. When wishing to do battle, do not go close to the water to meet the invader. Look out at life ground and take a high position. Do not go against the current. This is positioning the army by water. In crossing salt marshes, be sure to leave quickly. Do not linger. If one encounters an army in the midst of a salt marsh, hold to the water grass and keep one's back to the trees. This is positioning the army in salt marshes. On plains, take a position on level ground. Keep the high to the right and back. In front, death. Behind, life. This is positioning the army on plains. All four are the advantages of the army how the yellow emperor was victorious over the four emperors. In sum, the army likes the high and hates the low, values yang and disdains yin, sustains life and takes a position in the solid. This is what is meant by surely victorious. The army is without the hundred afflictions. In hills and dikes take a position in yang. Keep them to the right and back. This is the advantage of the military, the assistance of the earth. 
When it has rained upstream, the stream's flow intensifies. Stop fording. Wait for it to calm. When crossing heavenly ravines, heavenly wells, heavenly prisons, heavenly nets, heavenly sinkholes, and heavenly fissures, one must quickly leave them. Do not go near. When I am far from them, the enemy is near them. When I face them, the enemy has his back to them. When alongside the army are defiles, ponds, reeds, small forests, and dense vegetation that can conceal people, search these carefully and repeatedly. They are where the devious take position. When the enemy is near and still, he is relying on the steep. When the enemy is far and provokes battle, he wishes the other to advance. He is occupying the level and advantageous. Many trees move. He is approaching. Many obstacles and thick grass. He is misleading us. Birds rise up. He is concealing himself. Animals are startled. He is launching a total assault. Dust is high and sharp. Chariots are approaching. It is low and wide. The infantry is approaching. It is dispersed and wispy. The firewood gatherers are approaching. It is scattered here and there. He is encamping his army. His words are humble and his preparations increase. He will advance. His words are strong and his advance is forced. He will retreat. Light chariots come out first and take a position on the flank. He is deploying. He is not in difficulty, yet requests peace. He is strategizing. They rush out to deploy. He has set the moment. Half of them advance. He is luring you. They lean on their weapons. They are hungry. Those who draw water drink first. They are thirsty. They see advantage, but do not advance. They are tired. Birds gather. It is empty. They call out at night. They are afraid. The encampment is disorderly. The general has no weight. Flags and pennants are moved about. There is chaos. Officers are angry. They are fatigued. They feed grain to their horses and eat meat. The army does not hang up their water pots, and they do not return to their quarters. The invaders are exhausted. He repeatedly and soothingly speaks to his men in measured tones. He has lost the multitude. There are many rewards. He is in distress. There are many punishments. He is in difficulty. At first he is harsh and later fears the multitude. He is utterly unskillful. He approaches with gifts and entreaties. He wishes to rest. The military is wrathful and faces one for a long time without either engaging or withdrawing. One must carefully examine this. In the military, more is not better. Do not advance in a martial way. It is sufficient to gather strength, assess the enemy, and take him. That is all. However, if one does not plan and takes the enemy lightly, one will certainly be captured by him. If the troops do not yet feel close kinship with one and they are punished, they will not submit. If they do not submit, they are difficult to employ. If the troops already feel close kinship with one and punishments are not carried out, 
do not employ them. And so assemble them by fellowship, make them uniform by the marshal. This is what is meant by certain to seize it. If one acts consistently to train the people, the people will submit. If one acts inconsistently to train the people, the people will not submit. One who acts consistently is in accord with the multitude. Forms of the Earth Sun Tzu said, The forms of the earth, open, hung, stalled, narrow, steep, and distant. I am able to go, he is able to come. This is called open. As for the open form, be first to occupy the high and yang. Secure your supply routes. If I do battle, it is advantageous. I can go, but it is difficult to return. This is called hung. As for the hung form, when the enemy is unprepared, I emerge and am victorious over him. When the enemy is prepared, if I emerge and am not victorious, it is difficult to return. It is not advantageous. I emerge, and it is not advantageous. He emerges, and it is not advantageous. This is called stalled. As for the stalled form, although the enemy offers me advantage, I do not emerge. I lead my troops away. To order a strike when half the enemy has emerged is advantageous. As for the narrow form, if I occupy it first, I must fill it and await the enemy. If the enemy occupies it first and fills it, do not pursue. If he does not fill it, pursue. As for the steep form, if I occupy it first, I must occupy the high and yang and await the enemy. If the enemy occupies it first, I lead the troops away. Do not pursue. As for the distant form, since sure is equal, it is difficult to provoke battle. To do battle is not advantageous. All these six are a Tao of the earth, the general's utmost responsibility. One cannot but examine them. And so in the military there is driven off, the bow unstrung, dragged down, the mountain collapsing, chaos and routed. All these six are not a calamity of heaven. They are the excesses of the general. Now Shur is equal, and he uses one to strike ten. This is called driven off. The troops are strong and the officers weak. This is called the bow unstrung. The officers are strong and the troops weak. This is called dragged down. A great officer is wrathful and does not submit. When he encounters the enemy, he is filled with rancor and does battle on his own. The general does not know his ability. This is called the mountain collapsing. The general is weak and not strict. His training and leadership are not clear. The officers and troops are inconstant. The formations of the military are jumbled. This is called chaos. The general cannot assess the enemy. With the few he engages the many. 
with the weak, he strikes the strong. The military is without elite forces. This is called routed. All these six are a dial of defeat, the general's utmost responsibility. One cannot but examine them. Now forms of the earth are an assistance to the military. Assess the enemy and determine victory. Appraise the steep and level, the far and near. This is a dial of the superior general. One who knows these and employs battle is certainly victorious. One who does not know these and employs battle is certainly defeated. And so, when according to the Tao of battle there is certain victory and the ruler says, Do not do battle, one can certainly do battle. When according to the Tao of battle there is no victory and the ruler says, One must do battle, one cannot do battle. And so he advances, yet does not seek fame. He retreats, yet does not avoid blame. He seeks only to preserve the people, and his advantage accords with that of the ruler. He is the treasure of the state. He looks upon the troops as his children, thus they can venture into deep river valleys with him. He looks upon the troops as his beloved sons, thus they can die together with him. He is generous, yet unable to lead. He is loving, yet unable to give orders. He is chaotic, and unable to bring order. They are like spoiled children. They cannot be employed. Knowing my troops can strike, yet not knowing the enemy cannot be struck, this is half of victory. Knowing the enemy can be struck, yet not knowing my soldiers cannot strike, this is half of victory. Knowing the enemy can be struck, knowing my soldiers can strike, yet not knowing that the form of the earth cannot be used to do battle, this is half of victory. And so one who knows the military acts and is not confused initiates and is not exhausted. And so it is said, Know the other and know oneself, then victory is not in danger. Know earth and know heaven, then victory can be complete. THE NINE GROUNDS Sun Tzu said, The method of employing the military. There is dispersed ground, light ground, contested ground, connected ground, junction ground, heavy ground, spread out ground, enclosed ground, and death ground. The feudal lords battle for this ground. This is dispersed. I enter another's ground, but not deeply. This is light. If I obtain it, it is advantageous. If he obtains it, it is also advantageous. This is contested. I am able to go. He is able to come. This is connected. Where the grounds of three feudal lords meet, the one who arrives first will obtain the multitudes of all under heaven. This is junction. I enter another's ground deeply, with many walled cities and towns at my back. This is heavy. I move through mountains, forests, and swamps, in some roads difficult to move along. This is 
spread out. The way by which I exit and enter is narrow. The way by which I pursue and return is circuitous. His few can strike my many. This is enclosed. If quick, I survive. If not quick, I am lost. This is death. Therefore, in dispersed ground do not do battle. In light ground do not stop. In contested ground do not attack. In connected ground do not cross. In junction ground join with allies. In heavy ground plunder. In spread out ground move. In enclosed ground strategize. In death ground do battle. In ancient times those called skilled at battle were able to prevent the enemy's van and rear from reaching each other, the many and the few from relying on each other, noble and base from helping each other, superior and inferior from coordinating with each other, separated troops from regrouping, the assembled military from becoming uniform. If it accords with advantage, then act. If it does not accord with advantage, then stop. Dare one ask, the enemy amassed and in good order is about to approach. How do I await him? I say, seize what he loves, and he will heed you. It is the nature of the military that swiftness rules. Ride others' inadequacies. Go by unexpected ways. Attack where he has not taken precautions. In some, the Tao of being an invader. Enter deeply, and one is concentrated. The defenders do not subdue one. Plunder rich countryside. The three armies have enough to eat. Carefully nourish, and do not work them. Consolidate chi, and accumulate strength. Move the military about, and appraise one's strategies. Be unfathomable. Throw them where they cannot leave. Facing death, they will not be routed. Officers and men facing death, how could one not obtain their utmost strength? When military officers are utterly sinking, they do not fear. Where they cannot leave, they stand firm. When they enter deep, they hold tightly. Where they cannot leave, they fight. Therefore they are untuned yet disciplined, unsought yet obtained without covenant, yet in kinship, without orders, yet trusting. Prohibit omens, remove doubt, and even death seems no disaster. My officers do not have surplus wealth. It is not that they hate goods. They do not have surplus deaths. It is not that they hate longevity. On the days that orders are issued, the tears of seated officers moisten their lapels. The tears of those reclining cross their cheeks. Throw them where they cannot leave. It is the bravery of Chuan Chu and Cao Kui. And so one skilled at employing the army may be compared to the Shuairan. The Shuairan is a snake of Mount Hung. Strike its head and the tail arrives. Strike its tail and the head arrives. Strike its midsection, and both head and tail arrive. Dare one ask, can one then make them like the Shuairan? 
I reply, one can. The people of Yue and the people of Wu hate each other. When they are in the same boat crossing the river, they help each other like the left and right hand. Therefore, tying horses together and burying wheels is not enough to rely on. Make bravery uniform. This is a Tao of governance. Attain both hard and soft. This is a pattern of earth. And so one skilled at employing the military takes them by the hand as if leading a single person. They cannot hold back. In his activity, the commander is tranquil and thus inscrutable, orthodox and thus brings order. He is able to stupefy the ears and eyes of officers and troops, preventing them from having it. He changes his activities, alters his strategies, preventing the people from discerning. He changes his camp, makes his route circuitous, preventing the people from obtaining his plans. The leader sets the time of battle with them, like climbing high and removing the ladder. The leader enters with them deep into the land of the feudal lords, pulling the trigger. Like driving a flock of sheep, he drives them there, he drives them here. No one knows where they are going. He gathers the multitude of the three armies and throws them into the defile. This is what is meant by the activity of the commander. The variations of the nine grounds, the advantages of contracting and extending, the pattern of human nature, one cannot but examine them. In sum, being an invader, deep, then concentrated, shallow, then dispersed. To leave the state and go over the border with soldiers, this is crossing ground. Four ways in, this is junction ground. To enter deeply, this is heavy ground. To enter shallowly, this is light ground. Unyielding at the back, narrow in front, this is enclosed ground. Unyielding at the back, enemy in front, this is death ground. No way to leave. This is exhaustion ground. Therefore, in dispersed ground, I will unify their will. In light ground, I will make them come together. In contested ground, I will keep them from lingering. In connected ground, I will make firm my ties. In junction ground, I will be careful of what I rely on. In heavy ground, I will hasten to bring up my rear. In spread out ground, I will advance along his roads. In enclosed ground, I will block the gaps. In death ground, I will show them that we will not live. And so the nature of the feudal lords. When enclosed, they resist. When there is no holding back, they fight. When overcome, they follow. Therefore, not knowing the strategies of the feudal lords, one cannot ally with them, not knowing the form of mountains and forest, defiles and gorges, marshes and swamps, one cannot move the army. Not employing local guides, one cannot obtain the advantage of the ground. Not knowing one of these four or five, one is not the military of the kings and overlords. The military of those kings and overlords, if they attack a great state, then its multitude is unable to gather together. Their awesomeness spreads over the enemy, and his allies cannot assemble. 
Therefore, do not contend for allies in all under heaven. Do not cultivate balance in all under heaven. Trust in self-interest. Spread one's awesomeness over the enemy. Thus his state can be seized, and his walled cities can be made to submit. Without methods rewards, without proper orders, bind the multitude of the three armies, as if leading a single person. Bind them with deeds, do not command them with words. Bind them with harm, do not command them with advantage. Mire them in the ground of extinction, and still they survive. Sink them in death ground, and still they live. Now the multitude is sunk in harm, yet still they are able to make defeat into victory. And so conducting the affairs of the military lies in carefully discerning the enemy's purpose. Concentrate strength in one direction. Go one thousand li and kill his general. This is what is meant by skillful deeds. Therefore, on the day the policy is initiated, close the passes and break the tallies. Do not let their emissaries pass. Hone it in the upper court in order to fix the matter. When the enemy opens the outer gate, one must quickly enter. Make what he loves the first objective. Hide the time of battle from him. Discard the ink line and respond to the enemy in order to decide the matter of battle. Therefore, at first be like a virgin. The enemy opens the door. Afterward, be like an escaped rabbit. The enemy will be unable to resist. Attack by Fire Sun Tzu said, In sum, there are five attacks by fire. The first is called Setting Fire to People. The second is called Setting Fire to Stores. The third is called Setting Fire to Baggage Trains. The fourth is called Setting Fire to Armories. The fifth is called Setting Fire in Tunnels. Making fire has requisites. The requisites must be sought out and prepared. There is a season for setting fires. There are days for starting fires. The season is when heaven is dry. The days are when the lunar mansion is the winnowing basket, the wall, the wings, and the chariot platform. All four lunar mansions are days when the wind rises. If fire is set inside, Respond immediately from the outside. If fire is set and his military is still, do not attack. Rush to where the fire is calamitous. If one can pursue them, then pursue. If one cannot pursue, then stop. If fire can be set outside, do not wait to set it inside. Set it according to the season. If fire is set upwind, do not attack from downwind. If during the day wind is prolonged, at night the wind will stop. One must know the variations of the five fires. Use counting to watch for the time. And so one who uses fire to aid an attack is dominant. One who uses water to aid an attack is strong.
Water can be used to cut off. It cannot be used to seize. Now battle for victory. Attack and attain it. But if one does not follow up on the achievement, it is inauspicious. One's fate is wealth flowing away. Thus it is said, the enlightened ruler contemplates it, the good general follows up on it. If it is not advantageous, do not act. If it is not attainable, do not employ troops. If it is not in danger, do not do battle. The ruler cannot raise an army on account of wrath. The general cannot do battle on account of rancor. If it accords with advantage, then employ troops. If it does not, then stop. Wrath can return to joy. Rancor can return to delight. An extinguished state cannot return to existence. The dead cannot return to life. Thus the enlightened sovereign is careful about this. The good general is cautious about this. These are a dial of securing the state and keeping the army whole. Employing Spies Sun Tzu said, In sum, when raising 100,000 soldiers and setting out on a campaign of 1,000 li, the expenses of the hundred clans and the contributions of the nation are 1,000 gold pieces a day. Inner and outer are disturbed. People are exhausted on the roads. 700,000 households are unable to manage their affairs. On guard against them for years to contend for a single day's victory, yet by begrudging rank and the reward of a hundred gold pieces, he does not know the nature of the enemy. He is utterly inhumane. He is not the general of the people. He is not the assistant of the ruler. He is not the ruler of victory. And so the means by which an enlightened sovereign and a wise general act and so are victorious over others and achieve merit superior to the multitudes. This is foreknowledge. Foreknowledge cannot be grasped from ghosts and spirits, cannot be inferred from events, cannot be projected from calculation. It must be grasped from people's knowledge. And so there are five kinds of spy to employ. There is the native spy, the inner spy, the turned spy, the dead spy, and the living spy. When the five spies arise together and no one knows their Tao, this is what is meant by spirit-like web. It is the treasure of the people's sovereign. The living spy returns and reports. Employ the native spy from among the local people. Employ the inner spy from among their officials. Employ the turned spy from among enemy spies. The dead spy spreads false information abroad. I order my spy to know it, and he transmits it to the enemy spy. And so, in the kinship of the three armies, no kinship is more intimate than that of a spy. No reward is more generous than that for a spy. No affair is more secret than that of a spy. If not a sage, one cannot employ spies. If not humane, 
One cannot send out spies. If not subtle and secret, one cannot obtain a spy's treasure. Secret, secret, there is nothing for which one cannot employ spies. When the affairs of a spy are heard before they are under way, the spy and those who have been told all die. In sum, the army one wishes to strike, the walled city one wishes to attack, and the person one wishes to kill. One must first know the family name and given name of the defending general, his intimates, the steward, the gatekeeper, and attendants. I order my spy to surely seek them out and know them. I must seek out the enemy's spies who come to spy on me. Accordingly, I benefit them, direct them, and then release them. Thus a turned spy can be obtained and employed. With this knowledge, the local spy and the inner spy can thus be obtained and sent out. With this knowledge, the dead spy thus spreads false information and can be sent to tell the enemy. With this knowledge, the living spy can thus be sent out on time. One must know the matter of the five spies. Knowing it surely lies in the turned spy. Thus one cannot but be generous with a turned spy. When Yen arose, Ezer was in Sha. When Zhou arose, Liu was in Yen. Only if the enlightened ruler and wise general can use people of superior knowledge as spies will they surely achieve great merit. These are essentials of the military. The three armies rely on them and act.